What has hardened Bitcoin's properties, which are that it's voluntary, sovereign, anti-fragile, and has an immutable monetary policy? Good evening, Crypto Twitter. Today is July 29th, 2018, and last time we spoke, I mentioned there was a lack of coverage by the media and other outlets of the value proposition unique to Bitcoin. Today, I'd like to continue that conversation. But before we begin, I'll mention that you should like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast, as it will motivate me to continue producing episodes and help identify your areas of interest within the Bitcoin and crypto space. You can find this podcast on all major platforms, but I mainly focus on Anchor.fm, YouTube, and Twitter for comments and questions. I thought it'd be more interesting, rather than lecture you on Bitcoin properties, um, I would talk about my views on decentralization by taking questions from one of my crypto friends. This is my interview with him. Hey, man. Hey, Hey, thanks for agreeing to be on the pod. No problem. Yeah, so I wanted to know why you think Bitcoin is, quote-unquote, so different. There are um, so many other coins out there, and more keep coming, like, every day. Um, yeah, so I agree that the uh, the genie's definitely out of the bottle, and we probably won't stop seeing coins until every company has rolled their reward point scheme or gift vouchers onto crypto. Um, but I think this is one of the characteristics that help to prove my point. How so? Uh, Well, many of these crypto products have a specific purpose, like the reward points I just mentioned earlier. Some are trying to be utility coins. Some are trying to be platforms. Some are trying to be digital cash. Uh Um, But therein lies the problem. When you're trying to be something, unless you adapt to competitors also trying to be the same thing, you're going to go the way of MySpace when Facebook comes around. Yes, but why doesn't that also apply to Bitcoin? So Bitcoin is decentralized across more planes than just that of um, its nodes, than its networks. It's leaderless and have, and yet has um, various self-directed community groups within that are all working toward advancing the ecosystem, the ecosystem in their own way. Yeah, but uh, there are plenty other coins that are sufficiently decentralized now. Well, yes, but again, that may be um, that they're sufficiently decentralized as far as having enough nodes to not be shut down by uh, by an external bad actor. But if pressed to upgrade their network or face extinction, they're compelled to centralize, even if temporarily. Uh, to preserve their existence. So take Ethereum as an example. Unless that community comes together and upgrades the network, they're going to be challenged by various other Ethereum competitors. So in a sense, blockchain or whatever consensus algorithm you want to use, um, any of these blockchain projects um, act more like enterprises instead of protocols. Hmm. How, How is that a bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's great. Uh, the diversity of the broader community is really pushing forward 
innovation at uh, lightning pace. So, you know, but at the same time, when there are distinctions to be made, I think it's important to make them, especially if they aren't obvious to people in the broader community. So uh, hmm. Bit- Bitcoin's value is partially derived from its special decentralization that I tried to explain earlier. Um, it's likely impossible to create a good value valuation model for crypto prices, generally speaking, but Bitcoin has a special status in that it's so decentralized and has proven so far to be immutable right. that the most important value add for humanity that crypto can provide is in Bitcoin's properties that make it a true and perfect commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that other cryptos must fail. It means the difference in valuation will eventually have to reflect <clears throat> the difference between a commodity and an enterprise. Gotcha. And for most things, commodities are valued at orders of magnitude higher than enterprises. Um, and I mentioned the value just because I think it's an important aspect from Bitcoin, which is still missing. Right. Um, Bit- Bitcoin's the perfect store of value. It's a bearer instrument that is deflationary in practice. But the reason it fluctuates so much in value to me is evidence that the world doesn't understand its properties and hasn't yet correctly valued Bitcoin to a higher market cap that would make the, um, the spot price ebb and flow more like what we see in daily volatility in currency pairs or in gold. I see. So are you saying buy Bitcoin? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> this podcast is not financial advice. Uh, I just like thought exercises and also promoting um, basic human freedoms, let's say. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, but won't Bitcoin need to scale at some point, even mm-hmm. with being the perfect store of value you say it is? Last year, transaction costs skyrocketed. How do you expect the whole world to have access to the network when it can't even accommodate a bunch of gambling millennials? Um, well, that's a great question. I think, um, again, the answer to this question is another aspect um, of Bitcoin that I think gives it its value. So uh, a little bit of background. Last year, there was a civil war in the Bitcoin community, which pretty much mm-hmm. tore the community apart. The main point of contention was, uh, no surprise, the same issue that Ethereum is going through today, scaling the network. Right. But I think with the Bitcoin debate, it was, um, it was almost an easier debate because if you think of Bitcoin and Ethereum as two blockchain protocols running decentralized applications on top of it, on top of the main blockchain, mm-hmm. uh, the Bitcoin protocol really only has one thing on it. It has Bitcoin. While Ethereum has Ether on the main chain, but it also has entire token ecosystems built on top of the main chain. And at some point, the conversation turns toward implementing practical immutability versus um, absolute immutability. If If you don't adapt Ethereum to be more flexible, when someone finds a bug in one of the assets that are built on top of the network, Eventually, 
a new, more uh, flexible protocol will come around that ends up threatening the entire Ethereum ecosystem. And since Bitcoin doesn't have as complex of a problem, I think the scaling debate really took more of a philosophical divide between people that uh, didn't want to upgrade Bitcoin on the main chain in order to preserve its unique um, absolute immutability and those that wanted to double the block size of the network in order to increase uh, transaction throughput and lower transaction fees, um, et cetera. But um, the problem with this type of on-scale cha- uh, on-chain scaling, um, that mm-hmm. would have meant that all the participants would need to upgrade their software because old clients would no longer be compatible with the, uh, the upgraded network. So, you know, and when you change something one time, you can never again claim absolute immutability. And Bitcoin is no longer in that scenario. It would no longer be a perfect commodity. It just becomes more of an enterprise like Ethereum and all the other crypto projects. Okay, so I have to go soon, but you still haven't answered my question. Um, yes, you're right. So, uh, you know, and again, this is the problem with crypto. There's never really a fast answer. And um, I think this is one of the reasons people fall in love with the space is that its depths, uh, the, the depth and possibilities are endless. And, you know, the short answer to your question is that the Bitcoin community that remained. So, again, after the Civil War concluded last year the uh, the keep bitcoin mm-hmm. absolutely immutable people won and um, the minority opinion left the bitcoin community to create uh, various forks of bitcoin um, it started in july when the effort to double the block size got pushed into november uh, factions started to splinter and they created uh, bitcoin cash bitcoin gold bitcoin diamond etc And um, ultimately, the effort to actually double the block size was called off in November because um, it would have been a very large and disruptive hard fork. And by then, the the Bitcoin community that many of the minority had already left um, to the smaller forks of Bitcoin. So I think this is what really solidified Bitcoin's um, uh, anti-fragility and immutability, not not only because... Bitcoin can withstand constant external attacks. Um, it is sufficiently now sufficiently leaderless and decentralized that it can withstand internal attempts at change. And now the Bitcoin community that uh, remains understands what they're working with and have taken more of a creative approach at scaling the network. So these approaches are more similar to the way that um, we scaled the internet protocol over the years. We didn't just shut down the internet to upgrade it. We scaled it by adding layers on top. And this has been happening all along in Bitcoin. Um, it, it's been behind the scenes and actually it's been, you know, there for anyone that, that's bothered to look. Um, but since, uh, since you have to run, uh, I would suggest that you start with taking a look at the Bitcoin Lightning Network on your own time as an example of mm-hmm. how Bitcoin's scaling today. Cool. Sounds good, man. So I got to go. Thanks for this explanation. I think um, it all makes sense a little bit more. 
there's a lot of stuff here to absorb. No problem. Um, it was fun. I, I know it's a bit uh, overwhelming, but uh, it just gives you a great reason to uh, listen to this episode when it's published. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> cool. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter if you have any questions or suggestions at BTC Immutability. Thanks for listening, and until next time.